There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet PlushCare a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot of people have this idea of astrology where you look at the back of the newspaper and it says that, you know, either your day is going to be filled with roses or a piano is going to fall on your head. And psychological astrology looks at our natal chart. And from that, I can deduce patterning, karmic patterning, behavioral patterning, tendencies. So it's less predictive, but it moves away from this idea that we're just at the mercy of fate and moves more into this idea that we can be agents of change in our own destiny. Hello and welcome to the Not Perfect Podcast. My name is Poppy Jamie, a recovering perfectionist and the founder of award-winning mindfulness app, Happy Not Perfect. Like the app, this show is about hitting pause and taking time to look after our mind and soul. In this series, I explore how we can make life better in 2020. How can we reduce stress, enjoy life, bounce back from setbacks, and get in flow? My guests will be sharing their expert advice, and I hope you join me on the journey. Our theme music is courtesy of Mindstream. Visit mindstream.com to learn more about how their music and environments help you sleep, relax, focus, and move or find their music on any streaming platform. Let's crack on with the show. On today's show, I have Daniel Beinstein, a psychological and intuitive astrologer and the founder of The Cosmic Compass. She uses astrology to provide tools for growth, expansion, and self-discovery. She hosts workshops and guides thousands of people globally to uplift their lives and tune into their soul purpose. Excited to have Danielle on this podcast would be an understatement. What is a favorite quote you turn back to often? You know, there's, I actually don't know who it's attributed to, but there's a saying that goes, we can never depart a station we've never arrived at. And the reason that I love this quote is because in our culture, we 
tend to want to hack everything, right? So we tend to want to avoid feeling our feelings and really arriving where we're at. And so I love that because it says, you know, it's okay to acknowledge sadness. It's okay to acknowledge upset. It's imperative that we acknowledge joy and bliss, you know, all of these things so that we can come into this moment so that we can move forward. But if we don't ever arrive where we're at, we're always chasing something Mm. and we're never processing. So we carry our baggage with us rather than processing our baggage and moving forward. So that's one quote, you know, that I absolutely love. And then there's a, because I'm approaching 40 and a lot of my clients are, are in my age range, not all, but some are, there's a quote by Carl Jung that says, I'm paraphrasing here, but life really begins at 40. Everything up until that point is really research because we have this idea with this focus on youth, you know, 30 under 30, you know, all of this. And we, we forget that wisdom in order to garner wisdom, we need to live. We need to have experiences. And in that, that really is research. That's meeting people, having experiences, falling down, getting back up, navigating the world so that we can really come into ourselves and who we are and know ourselves. You know what? I love that because it also takes away the pressure of people in their 20s thinking that they need to have it together. We, we do live in this upside down world where it's like, oh, no, if you haven't made it by the time you're 22, then <laughs> oh, forget about it. I think it's just so important because, yeah, who are we competing with and for what? What is the what is the race? Because we're all going to the same place at the end. And our time here is short, however much time we have here. So to feel like you need to be somewhere rather than where you are, you know, it's the oldest cliche in the book. It's the journey. It's not the destination. Yeah. Where are we racing to? Beautiful thought to ponder on. What's a life lesson you've been reminded of recently? That very lesson, right? The idea of presence. Astrologically, we've been in a bit of a holding pattern of course, in 2020. And on a personal level, but also I'm seeing with clients that there's this desire to move forward. There's a desire to activate change because this major pandemic has really brought us into awareness of what our core values are. And so I feel like the reminder that I get again and again and again is to come back to the heart, to look at where I'm holding upset or disturbance or grief and not processing it and trying to move through it too quickly. You know, in America, especially we have this kind of toxic positivity and it's really, it can be really damaging because it's just advertising. Mm. You know, the idea that we're supposed to be happy all the time, that we're supposed to be productive all the time, it's robotic. I'm finding that actually there's quite a lot of toxicity around the idea of manifesting too. And people are getting so worried about not being positive Mm -hmm. because then they're they're fearful that they're not going to manifest the things they want to manifest. What are your thoughts on that? Because I find that deeply confusing. It is confusing. I think that, you know, true manifestation teaching is really about coming back to the authentic self and recognizing that when you live from that place, the things that are right for you that are meant for you are going to find Mm. you. But we project this achievement focus, this success focus on the manifestation where manifestation is really energetics. Mm. We're not meant to control our entire unfolding of our journey you know, part of that is recognizing that to be alive is to be entangled. To be alive means that you're going to have experiences 
which are wonderful. And you're going to have experiences that are challenging because there's this false idea that we're responsible for everything that we're experiencing. Like we are not responsible for the pandemic. You know what I mean? We are not responsible when we grieve the loss of a loved one. That is part and parcel of the human condition. Mm. This, I think it gives this idea, um, while personal responsibility is really important, meaning like owning how we respond to something, feeling overly responsible for our entire journey is damaging to the psyche, you know, because it doesn't take into account the, the socio-political realities of our cultures and that some people are really born into much tougher circumstances than others. And why? I don't know. You know, we can, we can ponder that thought. We can say, you know, we can come up with theories, but the truth is none of us knows it's a great mystery. Um, But I think when we live from that place of, if you're not manifesting, it's your fault. It's like, where's the empathy in that? Where's the compassion? Where's the idea of the collective and being responsible not only to oneself, but also to your fellow, fellow humans, to showing kindness. So I hear you, but I think true manifestation is really just about getting into the core authentic self. And from there, things will feel more in alignment and things will show up that are meant for you. And so clearing and deconditioning subconscious beliefs. Thank you for kind of clearing up that definition because I definitely think there's confusion over those lofty terms. And this brings me quite nicely onto my next question, which I ask everyone, again, a very kind of confusing term that we often come up with bizarre interpretations for. <laughs> and that how do you define happiness? I think happiness is a myth. I think there are happy moments. Honestly, it's kind of an empty word. It's kind of like an empty calorie. But fulfillment or contentment is presence when we have happy moments, you know? I mean, that is a quotable quote. Happiness is an empty calorie. That is so good and it's so true. Like we all want to consume it, but then suddenly we're kind of like, oh, how nutritious was that? Um, So you are a psychological astrologer. Yes. How does that differ from an astrologer? What does a psychological astrologer mean? So... A lot of people have this idea, you know, of astrology where you look at the back of the newspaper and it says that, you know, either your day is going to be filled with roses or a piano is going to fall on your head or, you know, it's, it's very binary or very kind of dramatic. And psychological astrology looks at our natal chart. So the natal chart is a snapshot of the sky the moment we're born. And from that, I can deduce patterning karmic patterning, behavioral patterning, tendencies, um, how we may relate to others, how we find joy, how we find, so joy more than happiness, right? That's another word that feels at least more meaningful. Where we may be presented with challenges or lessons. And so what I do is I encourage my clients to know their own makeup, their own energetic makeup, their own patterning, so that they can harness the energy and they're not being harnessed by the energy. So it's less predictive. It gives um, the native more agency in their own life. And it looks at, you know, psychological tools for betterment and deeper self-awareness, but it moves away from this idea that we're just at the mercy of fate and moves more to this idea that we can be agents of change in our own destiny. 
I really like that because there's I definitely think there is a fear around astrology. Yes. Um, because, you know, there's been a lot of times someone said, I do want to go to the astrologer, but I, I'm afraid of what they're going to say. You know, is there a bad chart reading in your eyes? Yeah. And also like a lot of people obviously are real skeptics about astrology. Like why does like, astrology work? Like what kind of like makes it legit, I guess? So it was, you know, came about from the ancient Babylonians and it's really, it's honestly based on archetypes. So we all carry these archetypes within us. If we think about since the beginning of time, we sat around a campfire and we told stories. We told those stories because each character in the story represented a different part of ourselves, right? Whether it was the hero or the villain or the victim or the jester or the child or the king or the queen all of these different aspects we hold within ourselves. And astrology is really a series of archetypes. And it's really a matter of how much or how connected we are to each of those archetypes. So some of us have stronger energetic archetypes than others based on our natal chart. So you could not believe in astrology at all and still look at it, you know, from that lens, Mm -hmm. from we're all characters in a play, right? So kind of that Shakespearean theory that we're all just playing our part. I think it connects us to the whole human family and also deepens our empathy and compassion because if we understand that we're each playing our part, but not like, oh, I'm a Scorpio, therefore it's okay if I'm vengeful because there's also a lot of really reductive conversations. You know, Scorpio, I say that I'm on a PR campaign for Scorpio because it is so maligned. People think of it as so evil, but it's deeply healing and regenerative and powerful in its ability to understand the human psyche and hold for all of it. So each of these characters, right? If we, if we take the 12 archetypes, each of them is a character and they have both positive traits and not so positive traits, right? Just like as human beings, we hold that. So that's a way that I invite people into it. So if I have very kind of alpha science-minded individuals, I can explain that we're, you know, 72% water, that the tides are impacted by the sky and the celestial body. So why wouldn't we be? And we're all made up of energy. But I think on a more pragmatic level, it's really archetypes and understanding that you know, seeing it as a framework, anyway, for me, it's been really useful for, yes. and, and this is why your workshops are so powerful, as a tool for self-discovery. Yes. And, and I also find, for me anyway, when, you know, I, I, I heard you say that in one of your interviews, that like explaining that the human body is, is, as you said, made up of so much water. How do we think that we, that we would not be affected if in huge tides change yes. shape based on like where the moon is in relation to the earth like how do we expect us not to be affected you really created so much clarity for me in how you kind of like break it down so the natal chart this mm-hmm. is quite new for people because you know as i said like i think we all get introduced to like astrology in the back of the newspaper how yeah. does the natal chart change and what what are the benefits of getting a natal chart read So a natal chart, like I said, is a snapshot of the sky the moment we're born. And it's a 360 degree wheel. And it's divided into 12 pie slices. They look like pie slices. So I'm calling that. Each of those pie slices is called a house. There are 12 houses. And each of those represent a different aspect of our lives. On top of that, there are 10 main celestial bodies. The sun, the moon, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Saturn, Pluto, 
uh, Jupiter, Neptune, Uranus. I think I just said those out of order, but there are the 10 main celestial bodies. I think I just named them all. And so those represent different aspects of our personality and how they interact with one another tells us again about personality traits, tendencies, life lessons that are showing up, how we relate in relationship, how we relate to our work, what's the primary focus of our life, what are our um, goals and aspirations. So understanding your natal chart can be a great window into all these different parts of us because most people think what's your sign and what they're saying is what's your sun sign, but Mm -hmm. that's just a small part of it. So the ascendant or the rising sign, that's how we present to the world. So when we walk into a room, people may not think we're our sun sign. They actually may think we're aspects of our rising sign. Our moon is our emotional landscape. It's our needs. It's our core needs. So while we express our sun almost unconsciously, it's just how we move through the world. It's really our moon that needs to be fed in relationships. So our love language can be deduced by our moon and then any aspects, so any geometrical pattern that it's making um, or any of the planets or celestial bodies are making to one another. So it's much, much more layered than just, here's my sun sign. Oh, I'm a Pisces. Therefore, I am dreamy and ethereal. You know, it's much more complex than that. What's one, I suppose, lesser known, I mean, you spoke about the rising of the moon, but is there one kind of slightly lesser known data point that you really look at when you're looking at yourself natal to kind of give them some information about themselves? So the angular um, houses, so that would be the first house, which is opens on the ascendant. So how we present to the world, our fourth house, which is home. Mm. what our home life is like, um, how we relate to our home life, how we relate to our conditioning, our roots. The seventh house cusp, which opens on the descendant, which is partnership, one-on-one relating. And then this 10th house cusp or the mid-heaven, which is the career point, the, the larger reputation. So those are huge points in the chart as well and seeing what's happening, if anything's happening in any of those four houses. What do you say to people? Because I, I think I was in a conversation a few weeks ago and there were um, you know, two friends and they happened to be born on the same day. And they were like, yeah. but how does astrology work? Because we are so different, but yet we were mm-hmm. both born in the same city on the same day. So the time makes a huge difference because that 360 degree wheel that I talked about, that spins. So then all of the houses land in different places. On top of that, Here's where the free will and here's where context really matters. So, you know, what was the family like? What is the free will we choose into? Like I'll see twins and sometimes I see twins split the energy, especially when they're younger. So one twin will take on more, one aspect of the chart more heavily and another, another aspect. So again, it's not just all faded. It's how we employ and use the energy because all energy is really neutral until directed. So with these energies being kind of so different, is it then completely malleable at any point in your life? And one question I get a lot is, there was some news article um, that came out that said, mm-hmm. all the planets have changed. <laughs> and suddenly everyone was like, yeah. everyone had these identity crises. They're like, what? I'm not a cancer. I'm not a yeah. this or whatever. Yeah. Is that true? Like, did all our astrology change from this kind of, I don't know. Do you know more about this? Yeah. So the, so it's that NASA, people think that in 2017, NASA discovered a new sign. Those constellations were always there. The ancient Babylonians wanted 12 signs to go with the 12 months of the right. year. So it's not new. It's still the same system that we've always used. And so 
it actually hasn't changed. Mm. It's just that NASA kind of brought it to people's attention, but it actually doesn't shift the same system that we've been using since ancient times. And I'm, you know, believer that it's worked for so long for a reason. There's a core energetic imprint, but nothing has been really newly discovered. It's just the way that they, it's the semantics of it. What do you think about um, astrology apps? Because to your point about, um, you know, the twins, you know, taking on different Mm. energy, it seems a lot more nuanced conversation than an app potentially can provide people. What are your thoughts on people getting their astrology information from apps? Well, I think, you know, it's great to pull up your chart, have some basic understanding, but this is the issue with our culture at large and moving more we can't stop the tide, right? We're moving into AI, we're moving into um, greater technology. We are firmly addicted to these apps and our phones, but nothing can replace human to human connection and nothing can replace this idea that there is nuance, right? So while I think it's a great tool, I wouldn't put all my stock in it because it can be very reductive in its expression. So you know, I have clients and they'll say, on this app, it says this. And I said, well, that's a version or an interpretation of the energy, but there's multiple interpretations of that energy. And you get to choose what you choose into. So that's why I created the workshop that I did, because it's really self-investigative. It's not just like, here it is. And here's the, you know, when we Google aspects of our chart, it can be so piecemeal. And really what I want to invite people to do is to get back to the nuance, get back to the texture and to really see how we relate to this energy and that we can harness it. We don't need to be whipped around by it. And this really brings me on to my next question, because you have read now thousands of people's charts and you've helped thousands of people to grow and expand Mm -hmm. through chart readings. Mm -hmm. What do you think are you finding you're seeing more and more of um, in terms of what's preventing people from being their best self? What is keeping people blocked when you really think to yourself, wow, what have I learned about the human spirit, the human soul through this kind of these decades of work you've been doing? I would say belief and belief starts, you know, in the mind and it starts in conditioning, but sometimes, you know, there's aberrations and people just have a strong belief that is different from their family. And they're very dedicated to that belief or different from their conditioning, but ultimately the mind, right? Because we are a culture of the mind. So do we use the mind in service to our soul in service to our heart, or do we let our minds run the show? And what I see often is that we get in the way again of presence and in tuning into our emotional body, our, you know, our cellular kind of receptors. And by the way, like I am, I'm a big believer in gathering knowledge and information. I'm a Virgo myself. So I like, I believe in, in knowledge, right? But when we take it just from the mind and we don't integrate and we say like, how does this land in me? How does this sit in me? And is this belief really something that aligns with my core values or is it something that I'm just adhering to? So I find that the mind gets most in the way, which is kind of ironic. I I always think it's great. It's so ironic that we were given minds. It's like when we're really supposed to live more from our heart, but the people who I find are, yeah, most in their own way, it's because of a belief or a fixed idea or a fixed identity that they've taken on. 
And this really speaks to your work because, you know, for me personally, I found astrology almost more at times more effective than straight therapy because mm-hmm. when you're talking to especially like a psychological astrologer like you you already know so much about the individual so I find yes. that I have breakthroughs in sessions where they're using astrologies at all because I'm not going and I'm like this and I'm trying to give all the information about me exactly exactly we can get to the heart of an issue, right? If we're, if we're really processing major trauma, then therapy, you know. Of course, I was going to say this, I'm not medically advising yes. anyone. This is purely <laughs> just a personal recommendation. I want to make that so clear to everyone. But I do think it's, you know, very often people come to me in addition to having therapy, but also, yes, it just gets right to the heart of something and really gets to the meat of it. And I think there's an immediate safety because, you know, question I'll get is like, which sign is your favorite? It's kind of like asking like, which of your children is your favorite? <laughs> you know, I may, there may be aspects or personality types that I are more complimentary towards me, but I really genuinely from the bottom of my heart, like love every sign. Like I really think there's so much that we have to learn from each individual and from each energetic makeup. So it's like, I just think it, I really hold a neutral space. My intention is to hold an unconditionally loving space and to really help the individual blossom, you know, and because I can see the core energy, you're right. I don't have to wade through, you know, well, what did your mom say about that? What did your dad say about that? You know, and and often I can see early childhood experiences, you know, in the chart as well. Can you give us some of the qualities you like about some of the signs? Yeah. So Aries, I love how enterprising they are. I love how direct they are. I love that they don't belabor. They just really dive right in. Um, Taurus, I love how sensual, how earthy, how rooted, how committed, how pragmatic, how um, methodical they can be. Um, Often they have great taste, so there's that too. Um, Gemini, I love their quick wit. I love the curiosity. I love the adaptability, the interest in so many different things and the facility with language that can often come with Gemini. With cancer, I love that nurturing, that caretaking, also that emotional complexity. I love that cancer, you know, love cancer to cook me a meal, you know, because it's just like, it's going to be made with love. No matter, even if if it's just the simplest dish, it's going to be made with so much love and caretaking and nurturing. And they tend to be emotionally intuitive as well, right? Leo, I love the pageantry, the drama, the entertainment, the warmth, the generosity. Um, They tend to be lit from within. So they just kind of have this glow, this warmth, kind of like you want to be near them like a flame. Virgo, their efficiency, their um, keen insight, their ability to absorb lots of information, their ability to create order from chaos and the purity of them. And by that, I'm not talking about sexual purity. I'm just talking about getting down to the essential of something, really separating the wheat from the chaff. Libra, I love how they can create such a harmonious atmosphere, how they're so diplomatic, how they have a sense of design and beauty. They really gift us. Scorpio, that deep psychological attunement, um, the ability to hold space for all aspects of the human condition, 
their spidey sense. Sagittarius, their inspiring qualities, their spontaneity, their willingness and desire to travel, to see the world, to have, um, to have a higher perspective. They tend to be opinionated, but I love that they have strong opinions and that they can just, they learn as they go. Capricorn, they've got their eye on their prize. They tend to be incredibly masterful at what they do. They tend to hold themselves as a boss. I should say as a leader more than a boss. Um, but they tend to have this, it's not, it's discernment, but they also have a really strong sense of right and wrong, like a really strong backbone. And that can bring real clarity. Aquarius, I love how future-minded they are. I love how connected to the collective they are, but also simultaneously deeply individualistic and they're open to the future. So whereas I just said like AI, they'll say, no, but how many more jobs and innovations are gonna come from that? You know, so I love that forward thinking, always pushing the envelope. And Pisces, deeply compassionate ability to move with the flow, attunement to the spirit world and the multidimensional aspect of life. So, I mean, 2020, I, this year has just been unprecedented. Could you, when you're looking at the world astrology, did you see something coming and go, oh God, what tidal wave is awaiting us? Or what is happening astrologically to kind of provide any explanation for just, I mean, times that none of us could have predicted? Yes. So I'm not alone. Every astrologer did because we started the year off with, on January 12th, what's called a Saturn-Pluto conjunction. And that Saturn takes 28 and a half years to go around the Zodiac, Pluto 248 years. So the last time they met up, I believe it was 1982 in the sign of Libra. So they met up in Capricorn, which is the sign of the establishment and the established order, right? So the structures of our lives. Not only that, but Jupiter came along. So Jupiter, Saturn, and Pluto, we all knew would be in Capricorn, hovering around the same degrees. Right now, as we record this, they're all retrograde starting September 12th. They're going to start to go forward. September 12th, Jupiter. September 28th, Saturn. October 4th, Pluto. But we knew that this year, the last time Jupiter and Pluto met up was the pandemic of 1918. Wow. So we kind of knew. Yeah. So we knew that there was going to be, you know, I didn't predict at all because my focus was on, I thought it was going to be a financial collapse. And I did talk about that. We are seeing major financial issues. But the reason I also saw that was because Uranus is in Taurus. And Uranus takes about 84 years to grow in the Zodiac. So the last time it was in Taurus was when, at least in America, was post-depression. We had the New Deal. And Uranus deals with disruption and change and reversal. And Taurus is the financial industry. So you take that all together and you take... Jupiter, Saturn, and Pluto. Pluto is major transformation. Saturn is structure. And Jupiter expands whatever it touches. The last time Pluto was in Capricorn, here in America, we signed the Declaration of Independence. Last time Saturn was in Capricorn was the fall of the Berlin Wall. So I knew something major was coming. I thought it was certainly political and I thought it was financial. I couldn't have predicted that it would be the pandemic. But the pandemic has kind of been, it's shown a light on the financial reality of our kind of globalized society. The benefits, the shadow, all of that, that's what I saw coming. And I knew there'd be a tidal wave. I just didn't know how it would come. 
When does the tidal wave end? Like, what do you kind of foresee in the next like yeah. few months? And like, how can we, I suppose, harness the energies of 2020 to try and finish our year stronger than maybe it potentially started? Well, we have two eclipses, November 30th and December 14th. So we had eclipses over the summer. So there was an eclipse on June 5th, there was an eclipse on June 21st, and there was an eclipse on July 4th. The June 5th eclipse started what are called the Sagittarius and Gemini eclipses. The June 21st and July 4th, those finished off the Cancer and Capricorn eclipses, which started in July of 2018. Saturn and Jupiter are going to leave Capricorn for Aquarius on December 17th and December 19th, respectively. So we're going to start to experience this shift, much needed shift out of the heaviness of Capricorn into the future-minded um, Aquarius energy. We're really looking at the end of the year because until then, Mars is retrograde until November 13th, when retrograde September 9th. So retrograde until November 13th, Mars is forward movement action. It's squaring these three planets, Jupiter, Saturn, and Pluto, which is why we feel like we're in a holding pattern. It's been squaring them. So we're in that holding pattern. We had Venus retrograde May 13th to June 25th. That was a review of financials, of our, really, our experience with love. You know, it was kind of the height of the quarantine or pandemic in many ways. And so we kind of had this pullback on those issues. Now we're looking at how we relate to our anger and having agency or a lack of agency or feeling blocked. That will start to move forward November 13th. Then we'll have the eclipse on November 30th, a kind of shakeup in terms of learning, movement, um, and then on December 14th, and then December 21st, Saturn and Jupiter meet in Aquarius. And so we're going to look to 2021 is going to be a lot of change, but not this kind of stagnation. It's going to feel like more movement. We've got a few more months until we start to feel some real shifts. How can we manage those kind of months where things may feel a bit stagnant? We're going into autumn, you know, some places will be going back into lockdown. Like, what can we be doing to nurturing ourselves to be ready for when this shift occurs? As many books around letting go as you can read. So David Hawkins' Letting Go is a book that I highly recommend, even like Pema Chodron's uh, When Things Fall Apart, just so that we kind of get a higher perspective on what's happening and we don't get caught in the linear idea of time, right? Because we can get really caught there and we can, it can activate a lot of fear. So the other thing I would say is look at anger, how we relate to anger. So a big fan of screaming into a pillow when I'm super frustrated, free form writing and burning. So writing out frustration, writing out anger and then burning it, letting it go. And then, you know, welcoming in the open space, welcoming in a kind of loving energy in that open space. But I think a big part of this is looking at our relationship to control. So drawing upon that like, you've had such a unique life in the sense that you've kind of delved into so many people's <laughs> souls. If you were to meet every 21 year old, mm -hmm. what would you want to impart to them? Don't expect to know before you have the experience. Be willing to have the experience and learn through the experience because you can't get the wisdom and you can't build the self-esteem 
without participation, without actually getting involved. The only way to build our self-esteem is to do the thing that scares us. I'm not talking about jumping off a literal cliff. I'm talking about if we fear a job that, you know, applying for a job that feels out of reach or experiencing, the only way you're going to know is if you do it. And don't expect to have all of the knowledge before you go into something. You're not going to understand relationship until you're in relationship. You're not going to understand being in the workforce until you're in the workforce. There's that great quote from that Cat Stevens song, you know, father and son, you know, it's not, it's not your fault. It's just your turn. So it's like embrace making mistakes. Mistakes aren't even mistakes. You have, that's the only way you're going to learn. And you can only connect the dots backwards. You know, that famous um, commencement speech that Steve Jobs gave at Reed College. Like you can only, you can only connect it backwards. So you don't have to know it all. You're going to learn along the way. You're going to pick up everything you need along the way. I think that's so important because, again, this idea of perfection or having it figured out. And if a relationship doesn't work out, it's not a failure. You'll learn from it. If a job doesn't work out and you realize you went to law school, you don't actually like practicing law. Okay, you still have a law degree. There's a million other things you could do, even if you decide, you know what, I'm going to be a magician. You'll bring that experience, whether it was working with clients, whether it was, you know, tackling what seemed like a difficult legal brief. You know, you'll bring the ability of mastery to the new thing, even if the new thing feels radically different. So I would love to hear about the courses and how people can work with you and the cosmic compass. As I said, like this world can be really difficult to navigate and there's so many people kind of saying other things. And this is, you know, the reason for me setting up the podcast really is to it hopefully introduce as many people to like inspiring souls like yours. So like the cosmic compass, like yeah. what does that involve and, and what kind of courses are you finding like good for kind of if you're early at the, in this journey or if you're kind of actually more involved, you've done a lot of this kind of work before, what are the things that you're finding that are having good results? So the cosmic compass is, it's actually inclusive. So there's a chakra course. So that includes eight meditations to go through the chakras as well as well as questions for self-inquiry to understand how we relate to our own chakras. There's also an intro to astrology course, which is a self-counseling investigative course. It's not just, this is what this means. It invites the participant. And then every new and full moon, I do a video with a meditation and a breakdown of that new and full moon, journal prompts, a playlist, a reading list, and streaming list of movies that kind of capture or shows that capture that energy or books that capture that energy or books that I'm reading. And so it's every new and full moon. And then there's an online community where people gather. And then once a month, I do a live Q&A. So people can ask me any question in that live Q&A. If people can't join for whatever reason, it's recorded and available for later listening. And it all feeds itself. So let's say there's a new moon and I feel like there's a certain chakra that aligns with that new moon. There's a button to go to that chakra to do that work. There's a button to go to that sign to do the work around that sign um, or that deep investigative. So it's, it all feeds itself. And can people work with you one-on-one? Yes. And people can work with me one-on-one, just sign up directly through my website. I have clients all over the globe. So the scheduler accounts for the time zone differences. 
uh, everyone, I'll put this in the show notes so yeah. we can have kind of easy access. Um, okay, this has just been so deeply insightful and I've learned so much and I love episodes like this. Um, if you wouldn't mind finishing my sentence, I begin. Yes. The best piece of advice I've been given has been? When I know my own power, the whole world will open up for me. The first thing in the morning, I... Think about my dreams. Before I go to sleep, I set an intention for my dreams for clarity. The book I recommend the most is nonfiction, Letting Go by David Hawkins, and fiction, my favorite book is East of Eden by John Steinbeck. The affirmation I repeat is My life is in divine flow. If I could do it all again, I would live abroad but it's not I'm not done yet so let's spend more time living abroad but I'm not done yet <laughs> I would love to meet dead or alive oh dead or alive um Virginia Woolf <gasps> good one <laughs> if you really knew me you would know I actually think I'm pretty funny you can't tell from my work but I actually think I'm pretty funny and I like I laugh all the time and I laugh at myself. My work is kind of serious and I'm not good at like memes. So my work isn't funny, but like, I think I'm actually, I think I'm actually kind of funny. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. So where can we find you? So Instagram mm -hmm. at Danny Beinstein and then my website, DanielleBeinstein.com. Okay, perfect. And I, again, will put it in the show notes. Thank you so much. This has just been brilliant and you're fantastic. And we appreciate you so much being on here. Oh my God, Poppy, thank you for having me. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. Of course, it would be amazing and very appreciated if you wouldn't mind hitting subscribe and sharing this podcast. You can find me at Poppy Jamie on Instagram. DM me questions or any guest suggestions. I'd love to hear from you. And also, if you have a moment, download Happy Not Perfect. It's my mindfulness app that helps you manage stress, anxiety, sleep, and ultimately makes you feel happier every single day in less than five minutes. See you next time. Sending you lots of love and energy. Till then. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.